0: It's so very important that we are focused on those mathematical practices in our math classrooms and getting students to build perseverance, that we're getting students to uh, make sense of problems and perseverance solve. that we're getting students to understand where and when precision is needed and where and when it is not, um, that we're helping students to see structures and then to make use of them. Because if we're focused on just getting you to understand how to solve this equation, we lose the student. But if I'm getting you to understand how to use a structure, how to see a structure and use that structure to create an equation, that's a skill that I can take with me anywhere.
1: Education Uncharted is a show from Propello, a K-12 teaching and learning platform that helps districts and teachers give every student a first-class learning experience. I'm your host, Amanda Bratton exploring the stories of courageous educators that have broken out of the status quo to chart new paths and boldly innovate in the ever-changing landscape of education. Today, we are joined by Dr. Tanya Clark, the coordinator of K-12 mathematics at Clayton County Public Schools in Georgia. A 2023 EdWeek Leaders to Learn from honoree, Dr. Clark has transformed instructional practices and professional development in her district to help create more culturally relevant and equitable learning experiences for her students. So welcome, Dr. Tanya Clark. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today.
0: Oh, absolutely. And thank you for having me and for inviting me.
1: Sure. So before we really roll into some of those deep questions, we always like to start with just getting a little background on what inspired you to become an educator. And maybe you can share some pivotal moments or experiences that you had in your life that shaped your passion for education. Yes,
0: absolutely. So I'll giggle at that question because it was not my goal um, to go into education at all. Um, I started out as a business major my first year in college and then realized I did not like business and then became a math major because I love math. I love working math, solving math. I love everything about math. And so um went to that and stuck with that and was not expecting to go into education. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do with math. I just knew I enjoyed it. And so towards the end of my degree, It was actually my mother who said, why are you not going into teaching? And my first thought was, why would that even come up? (laughs) Why would that even be an option that you would think of? And she reminded me of the years that I was going through high school, going back to the elementary school to tutor elementary school students. I was an activity leader. I would lead activities for them and do some teaching with them. And then um, from there, even while I was at college, I was substitute teaching. But I really just did it because it was an easy job that worked with my schedule. And she said, you do all of this stuff always with younger students. Even when you were younger, you were looking for ways to benefit and support and teach others. I don't understand why you're not decided to do that as a career. So my thought was okay i'll try it why not i don't know what i want to do anyway i will look into teaching and so toward the end of my degree at georgia state i found that i could get certified by taking a few education classes doing student teaching i went ahead and did that and my first year out of college i actually was not working i chose not to work i had a two-year-old and decided to stay home for a year and was called by one of the schools in my district the principal called and said we noticed that you are certified as a secondary math teacher, but you don't seem to be employed with the county or employed anywhere else. I said, no, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And he said, would you be willing to take a job? And I said, not really, I'm not looking. (laughs) Yeah, this was March. We're more than halfway through the school year. I said, no, I'm not really looking. I might look maybe next year. I'm still thinking about what else I might wanna do. And he pretty much convinced me (laughs) to come in and at least do an interview. He said, at least do an interview, what could it hurt? I said, okay, sure, I will come and do an interview. And it was the weirdest interview ever. He spent the entire interview convincing me, just try it out. See what you think. What do you have to lose? You work for a couple of months, the school year will be over in June and you still get paid over the summer. And I told him, I said, well, I have a two year old. And he told me about the daycare up the street. He said, he's heard great things about it. (laughs) So I, I took the job and I had mixed emotions about it at first. But one of the things that I love, I'm a problem solver. I love problems that I can really dig into and think about how do you address this? I love the work that I do to be different each day and to be interesting each day. And that was what initially drew me to want to stay because that first year, those first few months, I taught all REP pre-algebra and algebra students, a maximum of 18 students per class, but I would have nine to 10 show up on any given day. And I'm wondering, where are the rest of the students? Why aren't they coming to school? And I didn't really understand at the time the whole dynamics of REP and just even the motivation, the years of past failure. I just wasn't understanding why they weren't coming to school. So my challenge to me was, how do I get these students to come to class and to participate in class? That first summer I immersed myself in PD. What are some of the things, just one to really understand when you're secondary education, you don't get deep pedagogy. So that summer, I really wanted to know, what is it about REP? What is it about the way that students are learning, what I'm doing in this math classroom? The next year, I said, I'm coming back. I just decided, I said, I'm gonna take the challenge. I'm going to come back. And that whole year, I taught all REP again, pre-algebra, algebra, and oh, the challenge came <laughs> with how do I get these students who had no interest in math to enjoy math the way I loved it. And after the first few weeks of school, I realized the sit and get, the processes, just let me show you and then you do, I do, we do, you do. It was not going to work with these students. And so I said, well, what would make me want to do math if I didn't like math? What do I do with math that these students could see it's relevant, it's beneficial. And so many of them, they just wanted to get a job. They didn't want to go to college, they said, I'm not interested in college, so I don't care about, I need math to graduate. I can drop out and just go get a job. So I said, well, let's investigate this whole get a job thing. And I created a project that first year where students had to research the work that they wanted to do. They had to do the work, it had to be work that they qualified to do. So I said, if you're gonna drop out of school right now, what would you qualify to do that you would actually enjoy doing? So they had to research those careers or if they wanted to go to college, because we did have some in my classes who did, what is it going to cost for you to go to college? Even if you got a scholarship, or got financial aid, what about the applications? What about the travel back and forth? What about the living? You have to feed yourself. And they had to create an entire budget, life plan, everything around either I'm getting a job or I'm going to college and what is this going to take? And they had to include all of the computations. If they wanted a house, we talked about um, mortgages and interest rates and what is it going to cost as far as the interest rates? What are you actually paying? And when I introduced the projects to them immediately, I got buy-in. Like it was immediate that it was, okay, this is interesting. What else will we do with this? And as I kept rolling out more of the project, I got more and more participation. That was the dating myself for a second, but that was the first year that we had a full computer lab in the building. So we had a space where we could take students to do research. The computer lab monitor, the teacher who monitored that room and signed people up, she said, no one's signing up to come to the computer lab. But my students, because they had to do this research, I kept signing them up. And then I said, after hours, you can go. She reported back to me about mid-year through the school year and said, you are the only one in the building with 100% participation in the computer lab, because all of my students were going to do their research and to follow up on the next piece of research that they had to do the next part of their life plan. And so by about mid-year, I said, I think I'm onto something here with trying to get these students to engage in math. And I think by that time, I was bought in. So it kind of took that long for me to get bought into wanting to teach math because I was still investigating, Okay, certification in computer programming. I only need one more class and I'll be certified to be a programmer and I could go do that. But that experience and having to figure out how do I make math just inviting to students who have had a history of failure, who have just a lack of motivation, who are struggling themselves, who don't see the relevance, how do I make it relevant, important, and accessible to them? And I think that brought me in from the beginning. And then from then on, I've just been enjoying and loving every part of teaching mathematics and teaching teachers to teach mathematics.
1: That was your first full year of teaching?
0: That was my first full year of teaching. Yes.
1: Amazing. I know as a teacher myself, I remember my first full year and I was just like, oh, somebody tell me what to do, right? Like, I don't know what to do. Somebody tell me. And you just went off and ran with it. And I wonder, did you feel that clearly it was an observation that what other people had been doing wasn't working? But I wonder... Two, because you enjoy math. That's why you studied it in college. How are you able to go from a space of saying, well, I like math and then be able to make it so identify where within the whole concept of math were the breakdowns and be able to turn it around and make it valuable and relevant? I think it's really easy, at least for me, as an English and literature teacher, a writing teacher, I, always loved writing. I always loved literature. How can I make something that I see is so enriching just innately? How can I change my perspective to see it through the eyes of my students? Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you were even able to uncover the process to get to that point within your classroom where you were able to see where that engagement was breaking down and then how to attend to it. What did you do to uncover that? Honestly, I talked to my
0: students. We had a lot of conversations because I was curious. I'm a very curious person just in general. I ask a million questions for anything. And I was curious, why would you not, and not even just why would you not love math? Because I hear from people all the time, oh, I've never liked math. I've never been great at math. But just the idea that several of them were looking to drop out Several of them just did not care whether they passed or failed. They just sat in the back and had no interest in an education, didn't understand the changing society that we were in. I started teaching in the late 90s. We were on the cusp of the huge technological advances where your jobs that you're looking for right now, which we see now, are going to be non-existent. I didn't understand. And so I asked them, I would talk to them. I remember one couple, one pair of students, who were married. They were in two different classes, but I had both of them. And just think about, so what are you going to do? How are you gonna sustain the future of your marriage, your family, if you don't get an education, a quality education? We had conversations about why is it that you're not a little more interested in at least education, but even mathematics specifically. And they told me, where am I gonna use this? Why do I need this? It's irrelevant, it doesn't make sense to me. The math itself just didn't make sense to them. And so those were some of the things that I brought back and kind of brainstormed, I said, well, that's true. If the only answer I can give them is, you need it to graduate, which at the time was kind of my fallback. I'm teaching algebra, you need it to graduate. That wasn't enough for them. They need to know where do I need this in this life that you keep telling me that I need to be thinking about? Where do I need it in that? And so my task then was to figure out where do they need this in life? and to help them to see where they need it in life. And I think for me, some of that was me understanding better where we truly use math. We say it. Math is everywhere. We say math is in everything. And one of the things that I share all the time with people is when we say math is in everything, we need to believe it. So if I say math is everywhere, tell me somewhere other than cooking, other than measuring where you see it. If I'm telling students that you will need this math, it's in everything that you do, well, I'm going to stock out the shelves at Quick Trip. That is my desire. That's what I enjoy doing. Okay, so where is the math in that? I don't need it for that. Well, absolutely you do, because you have to think about how does this shelf look to a customer that's coming in? Customers want to see symmetry. They want to see items of certain sizes in certain places. They want to see a certain number of items on a shelf. So you have to think about not only the dimensions, the spacing, the sizes, but you also have to think about the psychology of it and how that connects to it and how people see things. But then also, how many can you put out on the shelf so that it won't go bad and that it won't look like you have way too many so people will actually buy it? but then also sustain so that you can actually sell it. So if you put too many out, people may not buy it because they think you have too many or people may buy too many and you may not be able to get enough out for them to buy. How do you calculate and determine that right ratio of how many to put out, how many to not put out? There are a lot of mathematical ideas, problem solving strategy that go into just about everything we do in life, but we don't always see it because we don't see strategy as a part of mathematics. We don't see problem solving as a part of mathematics. We don't even recognize that when we are teaching mathematics, we are really teaching problem solving. We're teaching strategy. We're teaching students to just understand what a problem is, how to set up prop solutions. We're just using mathematical content in order to teach those skills because we're so sometimes so busy just wanting to teach the math skill. We're not thinking about how we're using that math skill to build other skills. And so that was beyond that first year where I kind of went to as far as to start really understanding myself, the uses of mathematics, the way that students and that people receive it, how they interpret it, and how they see themselves in it. And so that I can better understand how do I bring this to my students and my community in a way that they can start to embrace it. Because... One of the things I did not want to hear anymore from a parent or a community member is, oh, yes, I was never good at math either.
1: Amazing. And I think you make such a good connection. And this is what many teachers do. We say you'll see this everywhere and then taking it to that next step of here's where you will see it. And here's how the things that you're learning apply in all of these different spaces. It's not just you're learning the algebraic equations, you are learning problem solving. You're learning additional skills and strategies for how you're going to operate within your world. So really bringing it home to that next level, not just saying this problem is something you're going to do in your life. No, but you are going to problem solve, right? That might not be the exact problem you're going to see in your life, but you're going to learn how to look at things in a different way through the application
0: of math. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why it's so very important that we are focused on those mathematical practices in our math classrooms and getting students to build perseverance, that we're getting students to uh, make sense of problems and perseverance solve, that we're getting students to understand where and when precision is needed and where and when it is not, that we're helping students to see structures and then to make use of them. Because if we're focused on just getting you to understand how to solve this equation, we lose the student. But if I'm getting you to understand how to use a structure, how to see a structure and use that structure to create an equation, that's a skill that I can take with me anywhere. And then I just use the mathematics to help build that skill.
1: So tell me, after however many years of doing this work, can you tell us some of the impacts that you've seen on bringing the real world connections of math to students' lives. What sort of impacts are you seeing on their understanding, their enthusiasm for learning, their ultimate outcomes? Can you share a little bit there?
0: Oh, absolutely. So I can tell you that first year group definitely showed the type of progress and growth that sparked me to continue on because all of those students who did not drop out, which I ended up maintaining, I think it was about 90% of them that did not decide to leave they all ended up passing their graduation test, 100%. These were students who were in pre-algebra and algebra. Uh, My pre-algebra students were in the 11th and 12th grade. They should have been taking pre-algebra, so they were repeating pre-algebra, had failed that test multiple times, and after this, 100% passed their graduation test. But since then, what we have seen is a huge turnaround in the way that our community members, our students, just even embrace mathematics. So we used to do math competitions in our district, just outside extracurricular kind of activities where students would come and take the test and compete against each other. And they were great, they loved it. We had probably about less than 200 students that would participate in these because we would get a team of maybe 10 from each of our schools, we have 66 schools. So a team of maybe 10 from each high school and maybe a team of five from each middle school. And just a couple of kids from each of the elementary schools. After we started district-wide, after I became the coordinator, really pushing math in context as in our teaching, teaching for relevance, making sure that we are being culturally and socially relevant in the way that we are teaching our mathematics. Our participation in these extracurriculars, we changed our competition so they weren't standard test, take a test and compete. We made them align with what we were looking for in the classroom. So, They became more of a project-based where students were coming and creating. Right now they're building games as one of the competitions. They have to build a game, build a math art design. We had them doing scavenger hunts and escape rooms as part of the competitions now. We increased to, at one point, the highest we were at was over a thousand students competing in a year. We have, since the pandemic, we've dropped back down. We had our first face-to-face Competition this year, this competition year was our first live, and we were back up over 500 students that came out this year live. As a community of students, parents, we have seen a huge increase in those who are just more interested in doing projects, engaging in math conversations, engaging in math projects, and just talking about math concepts. We have also started building in our community, what we call Math Talk Math Trails. We have partnered with an organization called Math Talk and we're building math trails in our community parks. Through that, we have also seen, we get at each time we launch a new trail, we have about 300 parents and students that come out just to participate in the launch and they leave raving about the excitement to engage in math, which is something we didn't see 20 years ago when I started teaching. It was every parent-teacher conference, every open house, it was, oh, math, yeah. He's gonna struggle, he's never been good at math, or I've never been good at math, I don't blame him. So we have seen huge gains in just the desire, the dispositions of our students to participate in mathematics.
1: Fantastic, I think that it makes so much sense that you're not only making in-class work relevant to students, but you're bringing that into the greater community to really make it a full, it's the families and the children and the teachers and the administrators who are working together to make a math community. That's what I hear.
0: Yes, and that is the goal. That's what we call, even among our teachers, this is our Clayton County family of math educators. Our desire as a math department is to build up the capacity of our teachers to be able to continue to build up each other when i started out as a coordinator i was doing a lot of hiring external consultants and coaches to support the work again 66 schools at the beginning it was just myself and one lead teacher we could not support all 66 but we did not have the capacity in each building them to support each other either. There were just too many buildings with a large number of brand new teachers or teachers who were struggling themselves, teachers who did not have the content background or the pedagogy. And so we were bringing in a lot of consultants to support the work with the goal of creating those core groups who could then start to build the capacity internally. We actually had our first training for this year. Yesterday, we um, had about 1,700 math teachers who came out from K through 12 for their first training for pre-planning. And we ended up hiring, we had, of course, our consultants from our textbooks doing textbook training. But for our content training, we hired teachers internally, Some, well, not hired, but we brought on teachers from internal, from Clayton County who delivered content training for our teachers. And we were debriefing about that just this morning, how impressed everyone was. We had some great feedback about the great job that those teachers were doing, delivering the content. And we went through and heard some of the instruction that they were giving and some of the information, some of the recommendations, some of the strategies they were sharing. And we were just celebrating how we are seeing now this community of math educators who have grown to a point where they have built their capacity that they are now building the capacity of others. And so we're looking forward to seeing how this continues to snowball into seeing our students' achievement just really blow up and move and get higher. We have seen some amazing growth in our students. Of course, the pandemic set us back, but as we looked at even last year's standardized test scores and compared to our growth of students from the previous year, we noticed in every grade, except for one, when we compared median percentile growth of our students, we're seeing 10 15 and 20 levels percentile growth out of our students so we're very excited about the direction that we're going in thinking about the way that we teach math differently it's not about just teaching the concepts and the skills but teaching those practices and using those math standards as a way to teach those math practices
1: it sounds like you've got a lot of teachers who are on board with moving in the direction that your district is really hoping to move. I've read a little bit about the ambassador program within your district. And I think, is that what you were speaking about just now that you're getting back on board for the beginning of the school year? Enabling change within education is really difficult, right? It's hard work. It seems as though you are riding that wave right now of a lot of teachers who are on board with moving in the direction that your district wants to move within the math space. What advice would you give to administrators that are looking to roll out these more equitable and culturally inclusive learning experiences? Maybe they're in math. Maybe they're in another space, but how can they do this recognizing that Educators come to the table with lots of different levels of experience, and some of them are coming in with varying appetites for making that change. What is some advice that you might share or some steps that you might suggest that an administrator would take if they're looking to roll out a new initiative that calls for equitable and culturally inclusive learning?
0: So some insight first would be that what we train teachers on and what they do in the classroom can sometimes be very different, two very different things. And so one of the things that we are really pushing that we are trying to stick to is that job embedded professional learning. Job embedded where teachers are getting the support as they're implementing. Because when I go to training, I hear it, I see it, it looks great, I wanna do it, but then I get back here and the structure, the process and the implementation does not feel comfortable. It's clunky. And it doesn't always work immediately because until you get comfortable with it. And so now I don't see the results and I'm uncomfortable. And so I quit, I give up and I go back to what I'm used to. Anything that you train or that you share with teachers that you would like for them to implement has to be followed with direct support as they're implementing, that's planning support, that's coaching support. It could be modeling where I go in and I model what it looks like, and then I support you as you are implementing it through coaching and a full coaching cycle. And so with that said, that process of having someone there that can take them through that coaching cycle, which when I started, we did not have coaches, and especially not math coaches, available to our teachers, which is how we ended up developing the math ambassador program. We needed someone right there at the building who could take the teachers through a version of a coaching cycle, even if it wasn't a full coaching cycle, to help support them as they were implementing what we were training them on. And so the ambassadors became those go-to people where we would tap into those teachers who have some level of experience or background content knowledge and we would train them up to be math leaders in their building. And those ambassadors would be side-by-side with their colleagues as their colleagues were planning. And they would support the planning process to help the teachers think through what we just trained on. What does this look like now when I go to do this in my classroom? So they're planning through and anything you implement in the classroom starts with that planning. So they're taking them through and supporting them as they're planning and thinking through, how do I roll this out in my classroom? And then if available, if the ambassadors are able to, going to follow them into the classroom, now that freed us up, even if the ambassador was just planning, that freed us up to be able to walk into the classrooms of those who needed the actual side-by-side support, and we could provide that side-by-side support. And then we also enlisted our university and college partners who could follow behind us instead of us always doing the observations, which then took more of our time. So we're taking time to observe, which means less time to side-by-side, they would do observations. They would just come in and just observe, just tell us what you saw so we can take that feedback and act on the feedback. Now I know exactly who to target, who needs my help, who was making gains and what those gains look like so that I can start to cycle them back into being a support in some other kind of way. And so that ambassador process and program has helped us to really make our work of training teachers job-embedded, bring it into the classroom, into the buildings, where they are and where they need it. So I would definitely recommend looking for a way that you can structure a process that allows for teachers to receive that direct support in the building where they are, when they're planning, when they're implementing.
1: It's just another layer of relevance and adding another layer of relevance for the teacher. How is this relevant to the way that I do things so that I can make what my students are doing more relevant for them?
0: And when you talk about cultural relevance and just in general, making learning relevant to what I do every day as a student, it's messy. What's relevant to one student is not going to be relevant to another student. So as a teacher, I'm constantly having to think about how am I going to structure this lesson so that it speaks to the masses, but allows everyone to in some kind of way see themselves in this, but also see themselves using this. And so the teacher needs, especially when they're getting started with this, they need a lot of support with thinking through that process. But then now I've thought through it. I have to work it. I have to make it happen. And anything that could not necessarily go wrong, but that could be something that I did not think about could happen. So the question that you never know what a student might ask. And as a teacher, allowing myself to know that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to not be right, it's okay to not have all the answers, but again, it's uncomfortable. And so that process, one of the things I love about the ambassadors is that they are teachers. And so when they come into the room, the teacher doesn't feel like if they mess up, then that it's going to be against their evaluation or something like that. They know it's okay. I can take some chances, take some risks, I can mess up and we'll get it, we'll fix it and learn from that going forward.
1: Dr. Clark, thank you so much for taking time today to tell us about the successes that you're having with the work that you're doing in mathematics. It's really inspiring to hear how finding culturally relevant angles into the content that we teach can really make a difference in the outcomes of our students. Thanks for joining us and best of luck as you move into a new school year.
0: Thank you. Thank you. We are very excited about this school year and I thank you for having me and for having Clayton County on your podcast.
1: Absolutely. What a pleasure it was to speak with Dr. Tanya Clark. The innovations she has brought to mathematics education from classroom to district to the wider community and to share her learning strategies and tactics with the broader community is truly inspiring. Here are some of my biggest takeaways from today's conversation. First of all, if we want to create engaging schools and districts, we have to change how we approach teaching and learning. Lecture-based sit and get classrooms are truly becoming a thing of the past. Dr. Clark discovered in her very first year of teaching that if she wanted to build an engaging, effective classroom environment, she'd have to find ways to make learning relevant and accessible, even for struggling students. If you're a teacher or administrator wondering what would make learning engaging and exciting for your students, the answer is simpler than we think. We just need to ask. There isn't a curtain between educators and students. All of us, from teachers all the way up to superintendents, should focus on creating opportunities for real talk and collaboration with our students. Ask students what they care about, what gets them excited, and what they like to do outside of the classroom. Next, we've learned that what we train teachers on and what they do in the classroom can be two very different things. While introducing new concepts and strategies in a workshop can be inspiring, The real work happens when we provide continuous and ongoing support long after the initial PD is wrapped. Change can be scary and turning theory into practice is oftentimes difficult. Creating a culture of experimentation and encouragement invites teachers to try new approaches to instruction, even if the initial rollout is imperfect. Job embedded supports in the form of planning, coaching and modeling ensure that our teachers have the necessary training to implement new instructional practices in their classrooms finally don't just bring the world into the classroom bring the classroom into the world by supporting educational initiatives that reach into the community like math trails in clayton county parks we create connections between home and school allowing for families to learn together Students can teach caregivers about what they know and caregivers can make relevant connections to their students' personal worlds. When we engage every stakeholder in the teaching and learning process, we build a community of educators and learners. I'm Amanda Bratton. For more conversations with bold educators exploring uncharted territory, click the link in the show notes or visit propello.com backslash learn to learn more.